So get your Bibles out this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah 53. In just a second, I'm going to have a few people come and read some of the text from the New Testament about the Christmas story. In fact, uh, where's Sister Kelly? There you are, Sister Kelly. Come on and give her the mic. And we're going to hear about the New Testament, what it says about the birth of Christ. Good morning. This is Luke 1, 26 through 38, Christ's birth announced to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Reading from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 24. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary had be, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took him and took to him his wife. Luke 2, 4 through 15. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Glory to God in the highest. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. It's easy for us to see Jesus in the New Testament, but the truth is that Jesus is from, in the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover. We see Jesus in the Old Testament in every book in some shape or form, the Old Testament being a foreshadowing of what is to come. But no greater place do we see Jesus than in the prophets as they prophesied of the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, 1 through 6 is going to be our text this morning from the Old Testament. And this is what Isaiah the prophet says about the coming Messiah that Israel is waiting for. In Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, he says this. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to verse 4. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah prophesies of this coming Messiah, a suffering servant, uh, giving details of his birth, giving details of how he would be as he walked the earth. Now, I want to say something to you this morning. Christmas is an opportunity for all people everywhere to find meaning in life. Christmas is an opportunity. And the opportunity of the Christmas season for the church is this, that we would shine the light on Jesus at a time of the year when the world is most inclined to pay attention. You go into stores and they're playing songs that are talking about the gospel. You, you walk through the mall and you hear it. People, you know, when they cut you off and they don't get angry, they just kind of wave. Everyone's a little bit queued up, there's stress, yes, we're going to talk about that, but it's the time of the year when people are most inclined to consider the light of the world that came in Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, that message that uh, he's talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack that a little bit and see, you know, what that message is and answer the question, who has believed? But I want to say some things about this Christmas season as we try to find meaning in it. According to current statistics, almost 88% of people in America report that they are completely stressed out during the holiday seasons. 
If you're part of the 12%, that is not, I'm not good at math, I think it was 12%, but you know, I want to know what's going on because most of us are stressed out by the hustle and the bustle and the last minute presence. Don't look at me like that. You're all thinking about your last minute presence. I got to get some for this. And that. It's the last minute. List. And you're praying for the Amazon man. And you're praying for the UPS man. In Jesus' name, FedEx, go faster in Jesus. That last minute gift, that, that hustle and that bustle and the stress and the pressure. 88% of the people are stressed out now. That's not the meaning of the season, amen. That's not where we find meaning, but, you know, we find these stress factors hit us in all different ways, financial pressures, family drama, uh, overeating, weight gain, holiday shopping demands. When you think just who's going to be at the Christmas table, some of you got your work cut out for you. Come on, there's one in every family. If you don't know who it is, it's probably you. There's struggles, there's stress, and there's all of these demands that are put on us, but that's not the meaning of Christmas. The, the, the depression that hits so many people, this is a time where so many people are depressed. There was a, a sister who shared in first service, gave a testimony that she was raised in foster homes, and she was in really terrible situations, and as a grown woman now, this was the first year she could actually celebrate Christmas. Powerful testimony uh, to hear that. But to so many, this is a time uh, of, you know, not so nice memories or not so nice experiences. And many people are depressed during the holiday seasons. Now, that's not the meaning of Christmas, but it's a big issue for many people. It's fueled by feelings of isolation and rejection and social anxiety. And I want to encourage you this morning, open up your hearts to people during the Christmas season. Open up your homes to people during the Christmas season. Open up your table to people. If you know people who are alone, come on this morning. Don't just huddle your family around and say, God, bless us four and no more. No. Open up your hearts and your homes and your table. Think about those who may be isolated or disconnected or depressed at this time. Many people during this season experience a crisis of faith. During the Christmas season, they see that spirituality is brought to the forefront. They can't escape it. It's everywhere. It's all around them. It's a central part of the season. And many people feel dissatisfied or disillusioned or unaware about what they actually believe. It's a time for us to share our faith, to shine our light, to give people who are lost a beacon of hope in the darkness. Someone say amen. Or we believe the message that Isaiah spoke of. The message that Isaiah spoke of is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It helps us understand and find meaning in Christmas. The gospel is the good news. Jesus came. He died. He rose on the third day because the grave could not hold him. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel, amen. Forget about religion, forget about ritual, forget about denominations and ceremonial. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the meaning of the season. And it's the message that Isaiah is talking about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Anytime scripture talks about the arm of the Lord, the right hand of the Lord, it's referring to the strength and the power of God. The strength and the power of God has been revealed to the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That baby in a manger would one day hang on the cross and one day break the power of death, hell, and the grave as he rose from the tomb. Come on, that's what we celebrate. That's where we find meaning this morning. Now, the gospel is not 
trivial. It's not weak. It's not some philosophical theory. Paul said this about the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans 1. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel's not a theory. The gospel's not some, you know, ideology. No, the gospel is power. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to turn sinners into saints. It is powerful this morning. The gospel is revealed from faith to faith. Notice what he said. How is the gospel passed along? Well, when my faith... Uh, comes through me and, and preaches the gospel to another person and they wrap their faith around it, a transformation takes place in the hearts of men. And Jesus is received and lives are changed. Now, Isaiah shows us three places where we can find meaning in the Christmas season. And out of Isaiah 53, the text that I just read to you, and the first place we can find meaning in the Christmas season is this. We can find meaning in how Jesus came. Listen to verses two and three. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Listen to Isaiah's description of how Jesus came. He was born a baby, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything seen and unseen, chose to come to earth as a fragile tender, innocent baby. He was born the normal way. Now, Mary went into labor, and, you know, uh, everything that happens when you have a child happened with Mary. It wasn't that, you know, there was this big light, and the angels went, oh, and Jesus just popped out. The water broke. Her contraction started. She pushed. Here comes Jesus. He didn't just pop out glowing. He had to be white. He was a, it was a normal birth. Come on, act like you've been there. You've seen it before. He chose to come in this way uh, as a a baby, as a tender shoot as it was, out of the dry ground. He didn't come with notoriety. He didn't come with all this fanfare. Yeah, there were some angels singing and there were some shepherds and stuff two years later. But understand, this was a normal birth. And he didn't come displaying his majesty or his charisma or even any physical splendor. Look what it says. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. How did Jesus came? In a very, very humble way. And if you want to think about this, if we got to choose how we looked when we came to earth, come on, don't look at me like that, ladies. You know you use that Maybelline and mascara and all, and you want to nip this and tuck that. Come on, guys, too, dressing up. And if we got to choose how we came, we we wouldn't come like Jesus came. Right, man, I would come, I want a nice, I, I want a nice physique. I don't want a two-pack or a four-pack. I want a six-pack. I don't want the family pack. I want a nice, come on. I asked first service, I said, you know, I said, ladies, who's a good-looking man? And I'll ask you, who's a good-looking man? And none of them would answer me. So somebody said, Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt, okay. So I'm coming with a six-pack with Brad Pitt, and I want Tom Selleck's mustache because that thing's powerful, Okay. <laughs> So if you got to choose how you looked when you came, man, you would not choose what Jesus chose. But it shows his humility. 
It shows the fact that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come for fanfare or the accolades of men. He came to do the Father's will. We find meaning in Christmas by understanding how Jesus chose to present himself to us on earth when he came. He could have came another way. If you remember in Matthew 17, when Jesus transfigured himself before some of his disciples, he, got, he let them have a glimpse of his glory and majesty. Listen to Matthew 17, 1 through 3. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. Listen, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Wow. Jesus let them have a glimpse, just a few, of his glory. It wasn't, listen, if he would have came like that in his majesty and his glory, his face is shining, his clothes are shining, Elijah shows up, Mo shows up, they're just chilling and hanging out and talking, what's going on? Man, some of you need to smile in church. Picture the scene, a glimpse of his glory, yet that's not the way he chose to present himself. He didn't want people to come to him because he was good looking or because he was attractive or because he was charismatic. He set all that aside. He chose to come as a suffering servant, and that's what Isaiah describes to us in chapter 53 of that book. He came as a suffering servant. Now, we find meaning in how he came because it shows us humility. It shows us how we should live our lives, not trying to attract attention to ourselves or to puff ourselves up or pretty ourselves up, but to allow the thing that makes us attractive to be the presence of God in our lives. Amen? The thing that makes the church attractive is not the, the seats and the decorations and, the, and, the, and the, all of the trappings of what we do when we get together, but it's the presence of God in our lives. Find meaning in the season. Let Jesus be the light that shines through your life. Number two, the second thing that allows us to find meaning in the season is this. We find meaning in what Jesus has done for us. Knowing what Jesus has done for us gives us so much meaning, especially at Christmas time. This baby, born in a manger, would one day embrace the cross for us. He would purchase for us a complete, comprehensive package of forgiveness, healing, restoration, love, joy, health, and peace. Come on this morning. If you're not excited about that, you should get excited about that. Because what Jesus, look, Jesus could have just came and said, oh, I'm dying on the cross and, you know, you're forgiven, good luck. No, but he gave us this comprehensive package, amen. Some people get excited about their health insurance plan. I got at this, I got dental, I got eyeglasses, I got, yeah, well, listen to me. That's nothing compared to what Jesus has purchased for us by his own blood on the cross. <laughs> it's an eternal package, forgiveness of healing, restoration, our ability to be forgiven of our sins and connected once again to the Father, to experience love, joy, health, peace, to be accepted in the beloved. That's what Jesus purchased for us. Look what it says here. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken of God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Listen to verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Why the holes in his hands? Why the holes in his feet? Why the spear in his side? Those piercings were for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The complete package 
is ours today. A gift of grace, a gracious gift. No matter what you unwrap on Christmas morning, every gift will pale in comparison to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Number three, and I'll close with this, and you know when a preacher says he's going to close, it's two or three hours out, so hang in there. But number three, the, the third place we can find meaning in the Christmas season is knowing Jesus understands us. So many of us feel isolated, estranged from God, but the truth is Jesus understands us perfectly. There are two truths that come to us in verse 6, and and they should be a comfort to us. It says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Two truths that help us understand that we are understood is this. Number one, Jesus knows our nature. I don't know how many times in life growing up, maybe as a young person or just getting to meet new people, all of us have thought at times, man, if they really know who I am or they really know where I've came from or what I've done, these people wouldn't accept me. These people wouldn't hang out with me. Come on, has anyone ever felt like that if they really knew? Most of you are lying in church today, praise God. But there's always been times where, and we hide. What did Adam and Eve do when they, when they sinned? Uh, the Lord came to hang out with them in the cool of the garden and walk with them, and they hid themselves. You see, sin causes us to hide from God and to hide from one another. So being understood is a very valuable commodity. Now, Jesus knows our true nature. And, and the, the text says we are all like sheep. We have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. We are prone to wandering. We are prone to losing our way. We're prone to going on tangents. We're prone to falling into sin, sometimes the same one over and over again. And we think, God, if you, you, know, if you really knew, and he does, or, or if you really knew me, you wouldn't. And God says, I understand you. I know your nature. One of the most awkward things in life is trying to relate or connect with someone who doesn't want to take the time to understand you. Maybe you've been thrust into a relationship, maybe through business, maybe, uh, you know, at work, and, and you're trying to connect with someone, and they don't understand you, and they don't care to understand you. That's the most awkward thing, trying to connect with somebody like that. During the French Revolution, Marie Antoinette was told that the peasants were revolting because they had no bread to eat. Her infamous response was to say this, well, then let them eat cake, showing that the queen of France was shamefully oblivious to the hardships and struggles of her own people. Marie, cake's more expensive than bread. They have no money. They have no sustenance. They're trying to scratch it out of the ground, but you're taxing them so fast that they can't have enough food for their families to eat. Let them eat cake shows that I'm disconnected, I don't understand, and I have no care for the common person. Unlike Antoinette, God is not blind or oblivious to the struggles we face. In fact, in Hebrews 4, 14, uh, the writer of Hebrews describes our Savior like this. He says, seeing that we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, understands what we went through. Why? Because he was tempted. When he came to earth, born as a baby, he took on the flesh. He was born of a woman, and he was the God-man, fully God and fully man. He was tempted by that flesh in every way. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin, yet he never gave himself over to it. He defeated sin, and because he lived in the flesh, but he overcame the flesh. When he nailed that flesh to the cross, he broke the dominion of sin over each of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. He knows our nature. Jesus is not a disconnected overseer who has no care or clue what you're going through or what you're feeling or how you hurt. He is an attentive king who understands us perfectly and identifies with us on every level. Number two, The second thing I want to tell you from verse 6 that should comfort us in this Christmas season is this. Not only does he know our nature, he knows all about our struggle with sin. Look what it says here. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus carried our burden of sin right to the cross and paid the cost of it with his own blood, destroying its dominion over us. Romans 6, 10 through 15. For death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Listen, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, I don't care who you are, that should make you shout this morning, amen. Because under the law, there's condemnation. Under the law, there's conviction. Under the law, we never measure up. Let me tell you something about the Ten Commandments. Their only function in this modern era of grace is to prove to us that we need a Savior, that we can't keep the legalistic law ourselves, amen. You might get up tomorrow morning and go, I'm going to keep all the commandments today. And, uh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sin at all. And listen, by, by the time you start, I mean, before breakfast, you're going to lose it. I haven't killed anybody today. We can't keep the law. That's why God sent Jesus so we could be under grace, Amen. And because we're under grace, we can be forgiven. When God looks down at us and we're under grace, he doesn't see Rick and all his messed up ideas and all his flaws and fears. He sees by the blood of Jesus someone who's redeemed and someone who's covered. And he sees Christ and he reckons that as righteousness for us as individuals. Jesus is not a disconnected overseer. He's an attentive king. He knows our struggle with sin. He knows our iniquity. Want to find meaning this Christmas? Remember this. God understands where you're at. Want to find meaning this Christmas? Understand this. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He died to set you free. He died to set me free. And that freedom for all of us and for every soul is only a prayer away. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. 
I know it's Christmas. I know it's about the baby in the manger, but he's not in the manger anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not even in the tomb anymore. He is risen. He's alive, and he's alive forevermore. And that's the meaning of Christmas, that we would adhere to the gospel and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you want the greatest Christmas present that ever was given, it's Jesus Christ. And not just knowing him religiously, not just knowing him through ceremony, but having a personal relationship with him that allows you to be forgiven of your sins. You say, what will happen if I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord? Well, God will forgive your sins. He'll write your name down in the Lamb's book of life, and your eternity will be settled You don't get to heaven by being good. God doesn't grade on a curve. You get there by accepting what Jesus did on the cross as payment for your sin. Then you can be forgiven. Then you can have a relationship for the Father. You say, well, that's awesome. What does it cost? It didn't cost us anything, but it cost him everything. God sent his only begotten. Jesus spilled his blood on our behalf. That Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If you're here today and you want to be forgiven, you want to have a relationship with God, and you want your eternity settled, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you're here and you want to do that this morning, just simply by a decision of your will, lift up your hand and say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. How many people would want to do that today? God bless you. God bless you. Keep your hands up. God bless you. The ushers are going to put a pack in your hand. The Starting your new life with Christ. We're not, you're not joining a church. We don't want your credit card number. This is all about you and Jesus. So let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I'm a sinner. Forgive my sins and be my Savior. Give me the power by the Holy Spirit to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name.